Okay, today is November the 22nd, 2011. Anybody know what this is the anniversary of? Right, JFK assassination. Okay, there'll be no Bible class Thursday. So, uh, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for the opportunity to study your mighty word. We pray that you will help us to metabolize the portion that we're going to study tonight and to file it into long-term memory, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. (coughs) Two people gave me the same little blurb from the paper. Some of you might have seen it. It's to Dear Abby. (coughs) I think this is very appropriate to read right before Thanksgiving. Dear Abby, I am a middle-aged woman who is a Baptist by faith. I believe that when I die, I will go to heaven. My problem is, if going to heaven means being reunited with my parents and other family members, then I don't want to go. (laughs) The idea of spending eternity with them is more than I can stand, but I don't want to go to hell either. Any thoughts? (laughs) and uh, dear Abby uh, responds dear eternally confused yes when you reach the pearly gates talk talk this over with St. Peter maybe he would be able to place you in a different wing than the one your parents and family members are staying in and in the meantime discuss it with your minister Well, there's a gross lack of knowledge there. You would think that this Baptist woman would know that there's not going to be any sin in heaven. There's not going to be any old sin natures. Yes, um, (coughs) they say it was in the paper. I don't get the paper. So Uh, Margaret Kaufman lost her husband, Clem Kaufman. And, uh, yes, he was, uh, I'm not sure what the, uh, did the paper mention what he died of? He was pretty elderly, I know that. 93, 95, something like that. He was, uh, I do know that he was a survivor of the Bataan Death March in the Philippines. He he wrote a book on it. Anyway, we want to remember her in prayer and and her family. So... (coughs) Um, we're going to continue in getting the gospel right and we're focusing on James chapter 2. If you're able to understand and get a grasp of what I'm teaching in James chapter 2. If you incorporate 
these tactics and techniques into your soul, it's going to help you be a better witness to anybody. It will give you confidence that no matter who you talk to, the Bible has a clear clarion call of grace. And I think that that's lacking. I think that's lacking in most believers. And that's one reason that I started this gospel, getting gospel right message, is because knowing the gospel, the, the essence of it, and we've reduced it down to its lowest common denominator, I guess you could say, which is faith alone in Christ alone. And knowing it <coughs> and being able to witness to other people is not the same thing. In fact, knowing any doctrine and being able to articulate it to someone else is not the same thing. If we're going to be able to bring down satanic fortresses, if we are going to use the divine dynamite, the spiritual weapons that God has given us, if we're going to be able to take every thought captive to obedience to Christ, then we have to be trained. We have to learn. And that's what we're doing. We're getting specific training on how to handle those who are mixed up and have embraced a false gospel. And so what we're learning here is not only for those who profess Christ and yet don't know the gospel. This would be good for absolutely anybody you come in contact with. So I'm doing more review because it has to be embedded in your soul. Because you understand, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you all accept what I'm teaching, but understanding it and being able to utilize it are not the same. So I, I start out again tonight, and I'm going to ask you, um, what is the first key in understanding James chapter 2? Because it's one of the most confusing, if not the most confusing book in the Bible to most people, and especially believers. So what is the first key? You don't have to tell me, but you'll know in your own soul if you know it or not. And it have, if it hasn't popped in your mind right away, you don't know it well enough. The first key is that James is talking to believers. That in itself is important because, <coughs> excuse me, he is not giving information to unbelievers so that they'll learn what they need to do in order to gain eternal life because they already are believers. Now, for us, that's the end of story. It's a slam dunk. We don't have to go any further than that because we recognize that you cannot lose your salvation. But a lot of the people that you'll run into, just because they are believers does not mean that they can't lose their salvation because many, if not most of the people that you come in contact will will think that. So it's necessary for you to make sure that when they say, when they go to James chapter 2, and I've never run into anyone that says, well, do you know what James chapter 2 says? What I've always heard, and I've heard it quite often, after I have given them the gospel about faith alone and Christ alone, they just come back with those six words. Yeah, but faith without works is dead. 
I just, I was thinking about this, even though you may know where it is in the Bible, it might be uh, just kind of curious to ask them, where is that in the Bible? Because it's very possible that they don't even know where it is. They've heard it said and they're parroting what someone else said. But you might not want to get on that dog trail. But when they say that, then you're going to have to come up with something to put it back into their court. Remember that? I think the best thing to do is when they say that, is have them explain to you what they mean. Don't assume that they're saying, well, this is talking about your faith at initially at salvation. If it does not have works to add to it, is dead in the sense that it does not produce e eternal salvation. Now, that's what they are trying to convey. But I think it would be a good idea to ask them what do they mean by that. In, when you do that in itself, what you're doing is, is showing them that just that word does not necessarily, those six words does not necessarily carry the connotation that they think is understood. You understand that? So if you ask them, well, so what? What does that mean? Or what does that have to do with it? And they explain it to you. So then, you do you remember the second key? It's got to pop right into your mind. You've got to know it already. The second key is for them to understand that Paul and James are not talking about the same thing. What, is, what does that have to do with anything? See, this presupposes that you already have at least three, four, five, six, maybe seven gospel passages that you can pull out of your soul, not necessarily out of your Bible, because you probably won't have your Bible with you. And you're going to explain to them that there is a contradiction if indeed what they say about James chapter 2 is correct, we have a problem. And then let them recognize it. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How, how do you show them that there's a problem? That, you have to show them a problem or else you're, you're going to be dead in the water. I, you know already it's by asking questions. One question might be that should already should be right under the surface. You're already always ready for this one to pop out. Well, if you have to have works, why did Christ go to the cross? And then wait and see what they say. Or if man could not save himself before Christ went to the cross, why, how is he able to save himself afterwards? I mean, there's a number of things you could say. My, our whole purpose, you know, we're, we're trying to hit a home run each time. When we come into contact with someone that, has a false perception of the, by, uh, of the gospel, we want to save them right on the spot. We just want to swing for the fences. Isn't that true? That, that, that's good. I mean, that's a good motivation, but I don't know how realistic it is. Maybe we should lower our expectations a bit and want at least, our, our main goal is to force them to think. Force them to think about what they believe and what they have asserted. If you can do that, if you can take it that far, you've moved a mountain. So don't think that just because they don't uh, 
100% accept what you say and thank you for giving them that information. Now they're born again. That's, that, it happens sometimes, but most of the time it doesn't. Our main objective is to present grace and how it is foreign to what they believe and have them meditate on it, have them think about it. When you ask them those questions, they're going to start struggling. Uh, last Thursday night, I mean Wednesday night, I was with the kids. And every, every time we meet, I try to have something different. Because you do something twice with the kids, and oh, that's boring, you know. So <coughs> I said, okay, my name is Bob. I'm here. I'm an unbeliever. Y'all save me. And I had each one take turns. They had to have a crack at me, see. And I was given points, and we were trying to keep score to see if somebody was going to win. We never got through that far yet. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because a few of them asked me questions, and I was in my mode as an unbeliever. What would an unbeliever say? And up two or three I could handle pretty easily, just kind of deflect what they're saying. But then when they asked me a question that, that stuck, it's, even if you would role play, you'll see. I, 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 how do you answer that, see? And I was trying to be very cavalier and nonchalant, and I'm really not interested about all these things. But when they started asking me some of the right questions, I could not. I just lost that whole facade. Because I, it was just like, I'm super cool up here. You ask me. I, can, I take it light. It's no big deal. And then they ask one of those penetrating questions, and I just kind of, <coughs> you know, I start thinking. And inside, I think, I don't have an answer for that. How, how do I answer that? And that's what you try to do. You st and that forces them to think. It is not a debate. It's not you win and they lose. If you do it right, it's you win and they win. But that will not happen if you don't get them to think. Because remember this. They come into this game with preconceived ideas, notions that are embedded into their soul, and they can look at Scripture and they can look at issues only through the filter of what they've been trained and what they've been taught. This is how they see things. So when they bring up faith without works is dead, to them that's all they have to say because they have been indoctrinated into that. You have to have works added to faith at salvation or else you're going to go to hell. So I'm just trying to have all of us think about this. It's not that we have a pre-canned pre speech, it's, but we do have to have strategy and techniques. Any military leader that is successful is saying one of, the, one of the key features is knowing your enemy. Well, we know the enemy. We know what they believe, and we know where they're going to go. And what we're doing is training, being prepared, to turn what they say right back on themselves for them to have to defend with questions and pointing to the Word. And that is divine dynamite. It forces them to think, and the answers that they would like to have are not there, as we'll see as we go through this. So I think what we're going to do is start with the words. Remember, we were in... Um, James chapter 2, verse 14. That's, what, that's really where the, where the action starts. 
everything is setting it up to this point. But it's at James chapter 2, verse 14, where the people who are works salvation oriented, this is where they would begin. This is where they're going to prove their point. So this is where we start. And the scripture says, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Now, going into it, you already know what they're asserting, what they believe. They're thinking this whole verse is salvific. They're thinking that the faith is the initial faith that you have salvation. And if you don't have moral works, if you're not obeying the law, then you're not going to be saved from hell. That's what they're thinking, and you know it already. And they're going to go here in order, whether they go to the exact verse or whether they're just paraphrasing it, this is where they're going. So we're going to look at a few words. And I think this is, I was looking at this today, and I think this is such a, this, is, this should be a key in itself. We're looking at the words in this scripture, and one of them is faith. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith? You know what they're th thinking about. I told you just a minute ago. That faith that they're thinking about is the faith that happens at salvation. They don't even know that there is another meaning to that word. And it's up to you to inform them. They don't, they don't even have a concept, conceptual idea that this word faith can mean anything other than initial faith at salvation. So we're looking at the, the Greek word here, pistis, and what its definition is. And this is the art, uh, uh, art and danker and bower, Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and Christian literature. This is a very expensive dictionary. It costs over, well, close to $300. And I'm very thankful that the church uh, allowed me to purchase this. But it is what the, the, the lexicon, a lexicon is just a sophisticated word for dictionary. It is the, the go-to dictionary for scholars. And so I, I didn't pick just kind of an offbeat type dictionary. This is the elite creme de la creme of lexicons and dictionaries. So it has, the first meaning is that which evokes trust and faith. The second State of believing on the basis of the reliability of the one trusted. Trust, confidence, faith. That's the one that they think it means. Because that would be describing the faith we have at salvation, would it not? That's the only thing they can think it can mean. We look at the third meaning. And just because it's third doesn't mean that it's used less or that it's less important than the other two. It is that which is belief, the body of faith, belief, or teaching. In other words, it's not something, a, a, a belief that you, have, uh, that you hold because you trust someone. It is the body of knowledge. It is the information that you, the teaching that you have assimilated into your soul. Do you know what we call it around here? Doctrine. That's what it's talking about. So when it's talking about faith, it's not talking about the faith that one exerts at, initially at salvation. It's not even talking about the faith that one would have in the scriptures as you read them. 
is talking about literally the body of faith that has been, um, excuse me, the body of teaching knowledge that you have accumulated. That's what it means. Now, let's go back to this verse just a minute. And let, let me show you how this first shot out of the box, if you can have them understand that faith means something other than what they think it believes, how that's going to change the whole character of this verse. And it's going to start changing the whole dynamic that's working in James. So if you can get them to understand when James is saying, what use is it, my brethren, if a man says that he has a body of knowledge, he has assimilated doctrine into his soul, he has, he has learned uh, uh, data, however you want to, to uh, describe it to him, it's what has been learned. It's the body of faith. It's the body of teaching. Now, if they can, you, you need to be slow and deliberate to where they understand what you're talking about, to where they're saying, okay, I understand what you're saying. Now, you, then, if he's saying, if a man has a body of teaching, but he has no works, already it's hard to stretch that into eternal salvation, isn't it? Because it's just talking about a body of work. It's not talking about the faith initial faith at salvation. And if you tell him that just 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 open your mind, look at this particular um, interpretation. If he says that he has a body of faith that he has learned but has no works here, which would mean application. He's learned something, but he's not using it. So far, we've set the... Because the next part we're going to handle is contingent upon what those two words mean. Faith and works. I'll get to works in a moment. We had not even covered works yet. But when you get him to understanding that this faith is not initial salvation, he's talking to believers, he's not trying to tell them again how to be saved, he's explaining to them, if you ha say that you have a body of knowledge that you have accumulated. You've learned it. You've gone to school. It was a home study. You learned it over the Internet. It doesn't matter where you get it, but you have this body of knowledge. And if you have that, but you don't have any works. You don't have any results from learning that. You haven't applied anything. Now we go to the question. Can that body of truth that he has assimilated save him or deliver him? Do you see how much already how much easier it is for them to slide away from the eternal over into the temporary? You have to realize they have never even heard of a concept like that before. And they, if you don't go deliberately, slowly, and explain to them the interpretation that is, happens to be the right one, don't expect just by throwing out a few words or just saying something off the cuff that it's going to do it. it they whoever trained them was deliberate and it took time. You have to do the same. You have to present into their soul another possibility for this verse. And it starts with faith. You might even ask them, you think that that is the, in fact, it's best to ask them, you might ask him, are you asserting, are you saying that this faith, faith is the initial faith one has at salvation? Is that what you're saying? Wouldn't that be a good question? What, what's the chances of them saying yes? Very high, right? Because that's what they mean. 
you might even be able to articulate it better than they can. And then if they say yes, you know what you might ask next? Just, just think. I'm not going to tell you. But what might you ask after they say yes, it is? You're going to ask them a question. The best question. One word. Why? Huh? Why do you think that? That in itself is going to stun them because they think, well, everybody knows that's what it means. What do you mean, why? And when you ask them why, you wait for an answer. And I don't know what they might say. Well, that's what everybody believes. Whatever they say, you know what you're going to do next? <clears throat> you already know, don't you? You should know. You're going to ask them another question. It is a series of question after question after question. You don't get people to think by preaching at them. You get them to think by asking questions. So the next question would be somewhere along the lines, well, did you know that there's another meaning for that word? If you can remember that the Greek word is pistis, that might give you some credibility. You might say, well, that Greek word is pistis, and it does mean the type of faith you would have in initial salvation. That's one meaning. But it also has a meaning that refers to the body of, of truth. It is the body of teaching or knowledge that one has faith in. Okay? Now the wheels are turning in their mind. For the first time, they're understanding that this could mean something else. You're not trying to quick Salem. You're not going to say, okay, now do you believe in Christ? What you're doing is you're just laying the groundwork for them to start thinking. And the first word there in faith, if you can get them to understand, that it's just very possible that it also means not initial faith at salvation, but the body of knowledge that you have faith in. You know, in your own words, you put it to them that way. You know what they're going to be doing? Oh. Isn't that what you would do? If someone told you something about a verse that you had never thought about before, isn't that what you would do? I mean, it sounds like this person is knowledgeable. They know what the Greek word is. And I didn't know that there was another definition for the word faith. Maybe y'all didn't even know that. But it's important to know that because that starts setting up a possibility that they did not know even exists. I'm just going to skip through a lot of this. Now, if you can remember some of these facts, that would be good. You're asserting that it means the third definition, which is, faith in the, the body of truth that one has faith in, that you have learned, the knowledge, the teaching, what we would call is the doctrine. Now, the reason that we come to this conclusion is, number one, James is talking to, what, believers. Why would he be trying to teach believers in the middle of James something about salvation? That, that just... I mean, it's possible, but if they read through James, anybody that just reads through James is going to run, realize very quickly it is not talking about anything that is eternal. It is talking about the bad behavior of believers. He, keeps, he calls them my brethren, my brothers, my sisters. He says all these. These are believers, but they're not acting like it. Boy, they're not even acting as good as what unbelievers should act like, and that's what he's addressing. The second thing is that they had learned doctrine. They had learned that body of knowledge, but they didn't have the work. They didn't have the application. It wasn't doing them any good. So the question, therefore, is 
can that faith, that body of doctrine that they have, deliver them if they don't use it? And then we can get to the word save, or you might even do it before then. But let's finish with the, the facts here. The focus was on the behavior, not the eternal destiny of these believers. In fact, eternal salvation was not even mentioned because it wasn't an issue. Now, if you say something like that, they're going to challenge you. You know why? Well, it says right here, can it, can it save them? You have the, the body of knowledge and you don't have the works. It says, can faith alone save you? Here it is right here. Can that faith save him? And when they see the word save, what are they thinking? You know what they're thinking. They're thinking this is... This is salvific. It's talking about going to heaven. Now you have another job. You've taken them through faith and shown how that can mean the body of knowledge that one has faith in. And the works is referring to they don't do anything with it. They don't have any application. It's not doing them any good. Now the question, based, once you understand those things, now you can deal with the word saved. Because here's the question. Saved from what? You might even ask them, when they bring up faith without works is dead, or here, uh, verse 14, um, can, can that faith save him? Can a body of knowledge without works, can that save him from what? You see, if faith isn't talking about eternal anything that has eternal, then how are you going to jump to the conclusion then that you're going to be saved from something eternal? doesn't make sense, does it? If you give them the, the information about saved, which is sozo in the Greek, here are its meanings from that same dictionary, lexicon. It means saved from death, bring out safely from a situation fraught with mortal danger, saved from disease, or keep, preserve in good condition. Now, I would allege that essentially all of those that definitions has to do with what James is talking about. What he is not talking about is number two, to save or preserve from transcendent danger, destruction, save, preserve from eternal death, from judgment. That is what he is not going to, what he's not talking about. Now, I know you're, you, you don't have to memorize this, but what I want you to get you to understand is this word, sozo, is used, for instance, in the New Testament, it's used 110 times. And only 44 out of the 110 times is it used to preserve one from eternal death. In other words, only, what is it, 40%? 40, uh, no, uh, 60% of the time, it's used in the sense of delivering someone and not salvifically. And you can just say in your own words that, the, that word is used all over the place. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he was, what, saved or delivered from the lion's den. In the Old Testament, this holds true also. If a woman um, has children, she is, the Bible says, saved. Remember that? It means saved from obscurity. But again, Certainly that isn't saying that, that you have to be a woman, you have to have children in order to go to heaven. 
So most of the time in the Bible, when that word saved is used, it just simply means some type, some form of physical deliverance. That's all. In the Psalms, David uses that word hundreds of times. And is David every time saying, save me so I won't go to hell? No. He's saying, Saul and every, I've got the Philistines over here, I've got Saul over here, and they're all after my hide. Deliver me. And yet when people see that, whether it's in the Old Testament or New, and they see the word saved, they want to go to the eternal, and it is not. So that's something else you can say. I would ask them. Now, just stick with me. If, it's, if the faith there is referring to a body of knowledge and the works is referring to not applying it, can faith, and it's talking about faith without the works that are mentioned, can that deliver a person? If you, let, let's say that um, you learned how to shoot a gun, pistol, and you were very proficient in it. I mean, you were, you could draw it, you could hit a moving target, you could do anything. You, it was a tremendous weapon. And you were accosted by criminals, and you had your gun right there in the holster, and you never pulled it. What good was it? All that training you took, what good? Is it going to deliver you out of that situation? Because you have that body of knowledge? It's right there. You can take it, but you don't use it. Can that save you? Can that deliver you? That's what James is saying. Make your own scenario to explain the point so that they will start thinking. So it's number two is what they're saying. See, the whole ball game is helping them to understand that this is not about eternal matters. It's about an apostle that is coming down on the people that are under his charge because they are not acting appropriately. He had taught them. They had the knowledge. The knowledge. They, excuse me, they had the faith. The faith here. What does the faith mean? Body of knowledge. The teaching. They had the, See how much easier. If they understood. What, see, for us, we take faith and we always want to run and go the same place. What they heard was not faith, but pistis. And pistis meant just as much as it did uh, believing something, because you trusted it, was the body of truth. That's what they believed. That's what they thought. That's how they thought. Uh, we won't get into soul. We, we already went over that. I was, I'm just trying to get some basic things here, because I've got some really neat stuff. I think we'll start right here. This is where I was going to start tonight. Uh, <coughs> But I don't care. I want to go slow and deliberate. I want you to be unafraid and ready because you have been trained. You have the tacti tactical knowledge. You have the tactical faith, that body of knowledge, so that when you are on the front line, question after question comes right out. Why should you? Listen, you shouldn't worry about facing someone that is going to challenge you on the gospel, what you should be doing is feeling sorry for them. 
because they don't have a chance. You're filled with the Spirit. You have the Word of God. You know the tactics, and you use them. There's t- what will probably happen is they're going to try to get away from you as fast as they can. They do, even if it's a, it's a sophisticated elder of Jehovah Witness that has spent years, decades out in the field, and he's been in all these situations, if you will just employ what I'm talking about here, asking him questions, what do you mean by faith without works is dead? And do, 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 you, do you know, do you recognize that he's talking to believers and wait for an answer? And if he says, how do you know? He's calling them brethren. And then the other scripture that says that they had the Spirit, the Spirit of God. That doesn't go to unbelievers. But then you ask them, uh, you know, we've got a problem here because Paul is saying many scriptures that, that eternal salvation, which what you're saying this means, is not of works. I can give you a half a dozen scriptures that says that eternal salvation is not of works. And that cannot be a bluff. You have to know them. And you ought to know them. If you, if you don't know them, shame on you. How are you going to be able to make this dichotomy, this, this, this comparison that is going to show that they have, if what they say is true, the Bible is contradicting itself. You can't do that if you don't have at least two or three verses, like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, and if, you, if you get in a jam... You go blank, just go to John 3.16. I mean, that one's... I, I don't ever say much about that because y'all already know it. And But I want you to know others because John 3.16 is good. But let me tell you, I don't think John 3.16 can hold a candle to Ephesians 2.8.9. Uh, and, and the same with Galatians 2.16, Titus 3.5, Romans 4.5, Romans 6.23. Get some of these under your soul and you'll be surprised. You've got the weapon. You have the Bible. This is the ammunition that you put into it is knowing these verses because you're not going to be able to go, well, let me see, where my Bible? What did that preacher say? No. You're going to have to have them at the ready. That's when you're going to have confidence and be ready to use them. And then you're going to start asking him, did you know about faith? But what do you think faith means there? And when he tells you, you tell him about, well, you, did you know? You know, there's another definition to that. Oh, really? Yeah. You're just talking to him. Okay, here's another word that we need to look at, and it's works. Works is the Greek word aragon. It means that which displays itself in activity of any kind, deed, action. It's in contrast to rest. It's a manifestation or practical proof. Isn't, what, isn't that what application is? Practical proof? If you have application of doctrine, then what it does is substantiate, verify, and prove the doctrine that you have. It is important to note that Paul and James uses the word works differently. They use the same word. Paul uses faith. James uses faith. Paul uses Save, James uses save, Paul uses works, James uses works. And so if you think that they are talking, using the same meanings to these words, do you have a problem? 
You've got a huge problem, don't you? So what is your job? To start explaining to someone who thinks that this word has the same meaning no matter where you find it all the time, you have to educate them to let them know that these words don't have the same meaning any more than English words always have the same meaning. How about the word trunk? If I said trunk, what comes into your mind? Is it an elephant? Huh? Is it the rear end of your car? Is it something you put clothes in? Uh, I mean, and it's the, it's the same word. It's the same way in, in Greek words. They have different meanings. Now, Paul uses the word words, works, uh, in a sense of morality for eternal salvation. He emphasizes the point that works of the law are unable to justify men before God. Thus, Galatians 2.16 says, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Is Paul talking about application of doctrine there? Oh, now wait a minute. That's a, that's a definition. That's a legitimate definition. In fact, that's the definition James is using. How do you know that this isn't talking about application of, of doctrine here? They're not going to challenge you on this, but I am. Context. Context. And all Scripture has to harmonize with Scripture. That's why we compare Scripture with Scripture. Now, if you thought that Paul was saying here, a man is not justified by application of doctrine but through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if you believe that, then you would, you would go to other scriptures and find out real quick that application of doctrine has absolutely nothing to do with eternal salvation. And since this is thought through faith in Jesus Christ, faith, that what is this? And you put this in the context what Galatians 2.16 is in. It's obviously talking about a righteousness that one comes up with by obeying the law. That's the works that it's talking about here. So James is, I mean, excuse me, uh, Paul is saying, Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by the moral standard that he's achieved by keeping the law. Would that work there? Yeah, it'd be fine. I mean, words present ideas and thoughts, and you have to understand that's what this is talking about. Now, James used the same word to mean works of application of doctrine which delivers one from divine discipline. That's what James is talking about. The believers he was addressing were stagnant. They were not serving the Lord but doing good works. Uh, by, excuse me, by doing good works. That would be divine good. James is trying to get them off high center. He's trying to say, hey, look, I've taught you. Why? And you're acting like this? You're, you're giving preferential treatment to the rich folks and showing no compassion to the poor? And what about unconditional love? What about compassion? See, this is what he's trying to get them to do. So they're stagnant. That is his motivation. There's a huge difference between a believer applying the Bible doctrine in order to faithfully serve the Lord and avoid divine discipline and unbelievers striving hard to produce enough good works to be justified before God and saving himself from the lake of fire. Would you agree? Both of them are taking, talking about works, but there is a big difference. Are they not? 
And so what they're talking about and what you're talking about and what Paul is talking about and what James are talking about are not even remotely connected. They're different. See, these people don't know what Paul says. They're not taught the things of Paul. Do you think over here in this new Jehovah Witness kingdom hall that they're training them, that they're going over Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Romans 4, 5, but the one who does not work believes but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. Do you think they're covering that? Oh, they'll avoid those like the plague. That's why they don't know about them. That's why you have to bring these up to give them something to compare with because as far as they know, what they've been taught, that's all there is. By the way, have you all seen that building over there? It's over there off uh, off of 290 going down to Market Street. Did you notice it has zero windows in it? No windows. The only other buildings that I've ever seen like that that had no windows in them are Masonic lodges. Just an observation. Um, So I'm going to read this again. Follow me. I, I want you to go with the thought pattern here. There is a huge difference between a believer applying the Bible doctrine in order to faithfully serve the Lord and avoid divine discipline. That's one thing. And an unbeliever striving hard to produce enough good works to be justified before God and saving himself from the lake of fire. Both of them are working. But their working is completely opposite. Here's the words. Faith, works, save. They all fit together and harmonize to render the proper interpretation. Faith is referring to, what I, if it's easiest for you, just think when you see the word faith in James 2, every time except two times it's talking about Bible doctrine. What we put faith in, the Word of God, that body of knowledge. So faith is referring to Bible doctrine, not initial faith in, in the gospel. That's what faith means. Every time in James it's that twice. Works refers to the application of doctrine, not self-righteous, not self-righteousness produced by keeping the law. That's what they think it means. They think they are building righteousness in order to be approved by God by their works. And save means being delivered from divine dis- discipline, not from hell, not from the lake of fire. Zero to do with eternity. Nothing. Well, let me put it this way. The only thing that we remotely connect it to eternity is if these do-nothing hearers of the word but not doers of the word would understand what James was saying and started going forward with their spiritual momentum and doing good works by filled by the Holy Spirit, the connection with eternity is what? Are you all following me? I'll say it again. I said James has zero to do with eternity, what he's talking about, except in a remote sense. 
The only way that what he is saying to these believers is even remotely connected to eternity is if these believers he was talking to who were hearers and not doers of the word, if they understood what James was saying and started getting cranked up in their spiritual life, taking it seriously, and producing good works, then it would change their eternity. What? Reward. That's the only connection that anything here has to do with eternity. Oh, man. Here we go. <laughs> I don't know if I want to get into this. It's getting kind of late. Ten minutes for time we're supposed to, uh, that I usually stop. But I'll just read this to you. Let me tell you, all this, there's two pages of notes here. Two pages. I spent about 10 to 12 hours today with these two, these two pages of notes. And I want to say they're fantastic. But I'm not, it's not, you know, I'm not doing this, patting myself. The Holy Spirit brought things to me in a very lucid way to show comparisons and logic that you can use to these unbelievers that will tie them in knots. We can't, we're in a battle. We can't just take things superficially and say, well, I'll just have my... You know, tell them, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and move on and think that you did your job. Anyhow, James chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. This is right after 14, remember. And what is he starting out by saying again? If a brother or sister. I was talking to this one guy one time that said, how do you know they're believers? I said, well, he calls them brethren. He said, well, I mean, I said, what about, he calls them brothers and sisters. I don't normally, uh, you, this is a term, if you go into anywhere, even in the, in the Hellenistic area, this is what the apostles called other believers, brother and sister and brethren. But anyway, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? And then he says, now he's going to make the comparison now. Even so, faith, the body of knowledge that you have, if it has no works, if you don't show compassion, if you're not applying that, is dead being by itself. What good is it? The illustration I used a while ago. You went and took a, 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 one of these courses, an elite course on handgun. You could take it apart and put it back together in the dark in 30 seconds. Well, you can, you can, you can reload it and, and, and before you can blink. You can hit move it. You can do all of these things. But when you're in a pinch and you actually need it, if you don't even touch it, what good was all that? What good is that knowledge that you have? What good is those, that skill that you have? It's the same as if, as if it was dead, wouldn't it? What do we call fathers who don't take care of their children? You know, they're, they're um, yeah, they're worse than an infidel, but they're not applying 
they're not taking care of their responsibility. Let's put it that way. And that's another way to talk what James is telling them. Look, you've got this knowledge. You have the responsibility to use it and you're not using it. What do we call those fathers? Deadbeat dads, don't we? Well, James is talking to deadbeat believers. And that's what he's trying to explain. All the training in the world, all the knowledge, all the time, all the effort that you put in that cannot save you from the wrath of God that surely will come upon you if you don't apply. Now that is, should get the attention of believers because most believers, not only are they not applying, they're not even growing. They're not, they're not learning and they're not applying. And this is people who have learned it and are not applying it. What about the believer that is so casual with regards to his spiritual life, he doesn't even care about learning it? What kind of, what kind of wrath does he need to be saved from? That's what this whole message is about. And once you start, when you are in the wavelength that James is in, then you're going to convey that to the other people. The only thing you have to be careful of is you're going to want to start getting your get your soapbox up there, get behind that pulpit, start preaching at them, get that finger out there. Yeah. You know, this is what we want to do. We've got to get that finger ringed in, in this little member in our mouth, and use it strategically, tactically, and ask them questions. And it is indeed powerful. We'll pick the study up next time right here. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time you've given us to focus on these things that are so vitally important. It has to do with the eternal destiny of people that we will come in contact with. It has to do with the status that we will have for all eternity in heaven. It's so important, imperative, that we have a plan, that we have a strategy, that we have weapons in our gun, are not afraid to fire so we pray that you will help us to focus on these things so that we can be on the front lines and be good servants to you. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.